Welcome to Nurturing Bright Futures, the higher education podcast for teachers and advisors, brought to you by UEA. Each month, we provide the latest information you need to guide your students through their journey to university, plus hints and tips to help support you in your work. We know you're busy, so we keep each episode to around 20 minutes, just long enough for a cup of coffee. So, pop the kettle on and let's get started. Welcome to October's episode of Nurturing Bright Futures, the higher education podcast from UEA. My name's Alex and I'm excited to say that we have a new member of the team joining us on this month's podcast. So a big welcome to Ellen. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Alex. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for joining us. We're excited to have you with us for your first podcast. And today we're going to be having a chat with Maria from our philosophy team. But first of all, hopefully this time of year, students are thinking about their personal statements. But many of our listeners might be gearing up for writing the references that accompany those UCAS applications. So I was just wondering, can you tell us what you think is essential when writing a good UCAS reference? Yeah, absolutely. So the UCAS reference sits alongside a student's personal statement and it's a really essential component of their university application, um, which is considered by admissions. So a really vital ingredient of a good UCAS application is this kind of synergy between the personal statement component and the reference. Um, And UCAS writes on their website that the best references will complement the personal statement, but without repeating any of it. Um, So I would really recommend before writing the reference that teachers and advisors should try and have a conversation with the student um, and really focus on discussing their future aspirations and how they think that their course will link to this. Also consider extracurriculum activities or any extenuating circumstances that you as a teacher might not be aware of. And also anything in general that students weren't able to fit into their personal statement that you could use the space in the reference to discuss. Um, Thinking about and having this conversation and really speaking to the student, um, particularly thinking about their future and their aspirations will ensure that when you produce this reference, it's really personalized, tailored, and most importantly, showcases their potential as a student. Brilliant, thank you, really helpful. And are there any other top tips for the writing process itself? Yeah, absolutely. So it's important to bear in mind that the reference doesn't have to be the work of one individual. It just needs to represent one voice coming from the school. So a really good idea that I think a lot of um, sick forms and colleges already do is to have subject teachers or other colleagues who know the student well to contribute to the proofreading or writing process of the reference. So it doesn't just have to come from the head of sick form. Um, It's really important to try and include real and concrete examples of how the student has performed. And these are the kind of most powerful ways to demonstrate their potential in the reference. We always impress this upon our students when we're directing them about writing their personal statement. So it's important for teachers and advisors to bear this in mind for themselves when they're thinking about writing the reference. So as part of this, try to avoid bland terms like this student is good at chemistry, Think about how and why they've actually excelled in this subject and always use illustrations where you can. So giving these specific examples to exemplify the point and look for ways to link it to why the student is an excellent candidate for their course and their future career of choice. Some great tips there. Thanks, Ellen. And if our listeners want some further support with the UCAS reference writing process, are there any good sources of information we can point them to? Yeah, absolutely. So our listeners can refer to the very useful personal statement writing guides on the UCAS website. But if they want more tailored support within our higher education advisory team at UEA, we have a whole wealth of support for teachers and advisors. 
you can contact the team today on our inbox, which is schools at uea.ac.uk to see if you're eligible to book a free practical session on writing UCAS references, which our expert team can visit your school or college to deliver, which is a really a fantastic opportunity. Nurturing Bright Futures, the higher education advice podcast for teachers and advisors. Brought to you by UEA. Now it's time to welcome this month's guest, Dr. Maria Serban, who is a lecturer in philosophy here at UEA. Welcome, Maria. Hello, Ellen. Hi. So some of our listeners might offer philosophy already at their sixth form or college. And probably most of us think we have a general idea about what the subject is. But it's also one that there might be a lot of misconceptions about. So can we go back to basics and start with what kind of topics are covered in a philosophy degree? Yeah, so I guess one appeal of philosophy is that it really kind of covers everything from questions about the mind, language, freedom, inequality, about what makes a person, about what it takes for a group of persons to govern themselves, about ethics and religion, to even questions about the universe, the origins of life and what's their meaning. And historically, philosophy has always been sort of a middle path between scientific and artistic search for truth. And despite the sometimes abstract language in which philosophy is presented, it has always been about these problems that confront us out there in the real world. And that is why maybe one of the reasons why some of the most popular modules that we teach, for instance, at UEA, are those about the meaning of life, practical ethics, world religions, or environmental philosophy. And this is linked, I think, to the fact that practicing philosophy means nothing more, or nothing less, than finding ways, new ways sometimes, to bring different ideas to bear on the questions that matter to us. Um, there's also a bit of a continuous search for translating these ideas into world-changing practices. And this is most successful when you find philosophers collaborating with experts from other fields. And again, here, together with my colleagues, we have different research projects where we do uh, work in collaboration with linguists, psychologists, economists and artists. And of course, there is also the extraordinary work of showing how even the more distant ways of thinking philosophically can contribute to, to current debates about climate justice or about freedom of speech. I suppose, in a way, the hidden or not so hidden lesson is that we shouldn't underestimate the reach and richness of philosophical tradition, which is not confined to national or historical borders, because there is much to be discovered in this sort of vast traditions of non-Western and Western philosophical thought. Amazing. Thank you so much. That was really comprehensive. My next question is, what sort of student do you think would be best suited to studying philosophy? Tricky. Um, I like to say that there is no right profile for the philosophy student. Everyone and anyone is fit to do philosophy um, in my books. Um, and philosophy can benefit everyone. I know this might sound a bit grand, uh, but I'm looking at my students every year and they come from such diverse backgrounds with such a variety of expectations about what philosophy is or could give them, that I am yet to find the sort of umbrella characterization that would be inclusive enough. Philosophy, I think, comparing it with other disciplines, is very personal. And as teachers, we kind of encourage students to carve their own discovery journey through philosophy. 
This can mean maybe discovering a new issue they might care deeply about, or maybe finding the resources to think carefully about a question that they have been carrying around for a while. Philosophy does try to cultivate a certain type of discipline in thinking, but this should not come at the cost of creativity, um, because I think every student is bringing its own sort of imagination to how philosophy should be done. And some philosophers might be brought to philosophy by questions they discover in their biology class, while others just want to understand something like the root of some type of injustice. And even others, probably most of them, come in search for answers about their own selves in philosophy. Um, so I think, yes, there is room for everyone, and everyone is definitely welcome to your philosophy course at university. Subscribe to our podcast now and make sure you never miss another episode. So for those that have studied philosophy at sixth form or college, will there be much of a difference when they come to study the subject at university? You know, actually, I get this question quite a lot. I think the difference here will concern mainly the levels of confidence with which one enters the lecture hall or the seminar room, at least for the very first few sessions. Um, some topics, maybe some philosopher names or ideas will ring a bell, um, will be familiar. But then the type of approach and type of engagement we expect and ask from the students will surprise them. Um, so there is surprise value even in the sort of most well-trodden path because, yes, there is quite a bit of difference in the way philosophy is practiced at university. And some of these differences might come with the amount of time that we dedicate to each topic, um, either in the teaching sessions or in the individual research that we encourage students to do. And other differences come from the type of aspirations that philosophy students develop during their course. And as I briefly said before, um, there are many uses of philosophy that can be explored during the university years, and these will surprise everyone, like even those who, like myself, thought that they want to do philosophy for their whole life uh, when they were like 17. You know, so I'm continuously surprised by what I can do and which sort of topics I can investigate by doing philosophy. So it's also perhaps stressing in drier terms, <laughs> that there is no correlation between having studied philosophy at sixth form or college and your success, uh, the success of the student at the philosophy university degree. Thank you. Um, this is a question that I get asked a lot by students and I do think um, a lot of academics would probably share your answer across a range of different subjects. I have one more question for you today. So I was just going to ask, can you tell us a bit more about the career prospects for students studying philosophy? Sure. So it's often said that philosophy is not a vocational degree. That is, it does not prepare you to be a police officer or a nurse or a solicitor or an entrepreneur. But I know many philosophy graduates who have precisely these jobs. So you might wonder why or even how is that possible? The answer can be a long story about the benefits of a philosophy education, but um, I think the highlights are something along these lines. First, there is a sort of set of transferable skills that humanities in general and philosophy in particular can help you acquire, like uh, spotting the differences between different types of arguments or um, distinguishing the value of rhetoric from the evidence-based reasoning or appreciating the role of jargon and slogans. Um, then there is the 
kind of ability to create effective means of communication of important but sometimes really abstract ideas such as equality and freedom. And as I hinted at the start of our conversation, philosophy is the sort of middle way, both in its outlook and practice, between the precision and analytic skill you might expect from a STEM training and the creative reasoning of the arts and humanities. So what I like to tell everyone is that keep this in mind, like jobs will change, but clear thinking will always be a valuable resource. I mean, both for those individuals who possess it, but also for the communities of which they are part. Thank you so much for answering these questions today, Maria. I'm hoping that perhaps our listeners feel inspired. I know in my job, I get the privilege of meeting so many different academics from different backgrounds, and it always makes me feel like perhaps I wish to go back to university and study something different. It's so exciting to hear about these um, topics. So I understand that if people have any questions, they can message you via the Ask Us function on our website. Yes, and I, as a philosopher, I always welcome questions, as you might notice also from um, our exchange. So be very keen to answer any sort of inquiries, kind of more specific or even more general about philosophy. Thank you, Maria. So students and teachers and advisors are welcome to message Maria on www.uea.ac.uk forward slash ask hyphen us. So thank you so much for joining us today, Maria. It's been wonderful to speak to you. Thank you, Alan. Email schools at uea.ac.uk to find out what we can do to support your school. Thank you so much to Ellen and Maria for that. I hope you found that useful. Just a quick reminder about our UEA Open Days that are taking place this autumn on Saturday the 22nd of October and Saturday the 19th of November. So please do encourage your students and their families to come along. In case you need a bit of a recap on uh, what we do at our Open Days, so um, there'll obviously be a chance to have a look around our campus and these tours are done by our student ambassadors a really good chance for students and their families to chat to current students at UEA and find out what they think about life at UEA and where we can we kind of tailor those tours to make sure everyone's seeing the um, buildings and facilities that they'd like to see. We also run separate accommodation tours so this will give people a chance to see into the different types of accommodation that we offer. There are various talks going on so we'll have some more general talks things like welcome talks or um, even a panel just specifically for parents and carers so they can ask some of the questions that are on their mind. And then of course we've got subject talks related to the courses specifically. And they're a really good chance to ask questions either of the academics who are running those courses or of the student ambassadors who are studying on those courses at the moment. So do encourage your students to try and think of some questions in advance, jot them down, and then that will just remind them to ask them on the day. And then finally, we do offer all our open day visitors a free bus pass to go and explore the city of Norwich. So we really encourage people. Obviously, it's going to be a big part of where they study is the surrounding town or city that they'll be in. So we encourage people to head into Norwich, maybe get some dinner in the evening before they head home. So plenty going on. If they've got any questions, obviously, we're happy to answer them. But otherwise, they can go to www.uea.ac.uk forward slash open days and register their place there and we will send them all the information they need. Okay, so we hope to see them there. Thanks for joining us this month. We'll see you next time. That's it for this month's episode of Nurturing Bright Futures. We would absolutely love to hear from you. To book a visit, make a suggestion, or ask us a question, drop us a line at schools at uea.ac.uk. 
Thanks for joining us.